This is the FS podcast hosted by Exadel. Exadel are the leading providers of digital transformation, managed services and staff augmentation for the financial markets. Today we're joined by Sabah. Sabah is a co-founder, consultant and C-level advisor who works on bringing technology strategies to banks and financial institutions. Hi Sabah, thanks so much for joining us. Hey Deborah, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. How is everything? Good, good. So I'll jump straight in. You work in AI and ML language services and financial services. I've got to ask, what do you think of chat GPT? I think there's various forms of how people view AI ML to actually be, you know, the, the friction it takes to get to a rough draft is exponentially reduced. But the problem is, is at the end of the day, the human element it it can be mimicked, but it can't be fully uh, captured, right? So like when, right. when you look at when you look like look at the democratization of AI and ML across these various forms, one of the biggest issues that people are going to have is just trying to figure out how to humanize it, and whatever it costs you to humanize a, an AI ML model then it might cost you the same exact thing just to hire a, a human. You see what I'm saying? And so it, there is a there is a cost differential that they have to take into consideration because, you know, right now you have what's called a prompt manager now, right? Like these, they're hiring prompt managers. So like if you know how to write the prompt, right, it, it becomes the it becomes ultimately the the way that they will determine whether you know it's a new talent like if you can write the prompt the issue that i have is is that you're going an extra mile to hire a human to get to a rough draft that will eventually need human oversight anyway so at what point are we just going to measure the velocity of this thing to try to figure out whether it is a a better service or a, a better route to a final product i think it's a better route to initial information but not a better route to a final product in the world of, of writing, right? But when you talk about the world of, of let's say FinTech or financial services, you know, one of the one of the issues that I think it's it's not necessarily an issue, but I think it's one of the things that people don't understand is that AIML uh anal, an analysis has been around financial services for many years. Like this isn't a new thing that just essentially popped up. And now, because Chad GPT is in place, Wall Street is thinking, oh, we could use this. I mean, they've been using data analytics and AI ML to, to create insights within their models anyway. I think what's what it's doing now is, is it's essentially becoming a much more prescriptive model that's that people can get a hold of. So you have like open a APIs that people can can utilize to, you know, a, a regular retail trader now can tell you if a signal if there's a signal within, you know, these different markets, and then they can talk about correlation analysis without necessarily having to sit down and really run like a regression and, you know, on the front end, and no one has to actually build those models. Someone can just set it and forget it to some level, right? Let's start like kind of from the beginning. You mentioned finance fintech. Um, yeah. You know, how are fin how is AI and ML being used in fintech and financial services today? And then what's the difference between that and how you think AI and ML can be used, for example, in product development going forward? 
so so there's there's a couple of there's a couple of factors here right so like right now we already see people using chat gpt to essentially uh, get code outputs right and then they'll have someone go through it and clean it up and structure it a certain way but i i think um there's there's two factors here one is is that the financial services markets like wall street even with high frequency trading they are not at the cutting edge of technology every single one of them so you have and and primarily that comes from several different points one is is that some of these uh, major institutions actually are very weary of putting their models in the cloud because they don't want to be hacked. And those models are essentially their, their proprietary, uh, you know, those are proprietary. That's it's their, it's their IP. So their intellectual property that, and those models are essentially what's giving them the alpha or the, or the, you know, the, the type of profit margins that they see. So when you look at somebody who's, who hires a, a vast, team of analysts um you know and competent and people who are in applied mathematics to sit down and, and develop these different models across different types of verticals whether it's commodities trading or whatnot that can be greatly reduced because now what they can do is is essentially look at the efficiency and output consistently and then the machine can learn right so it's analyzing these different correlations and then machine learning comes in behind it and starts to learn where the correlations shift and then be able to give insights back. And even if the human element is there, observing and learning and adjusting the velocity at each point in that process and that continuous improvement process is shortened. Now, what we have is is CICD. So we have continuous improvement and then continuous development. So within continuous improvement, each phase can shorten. But within continuous development, now you have to figure out what is the best way to develop the solutions that are currently that we're seeing in those in the insights that are being provided. Now, currently, that's the human element, right? So we see the insights, we see how these things need to be improved, whether it's a customer facing improvement, right? Whether it's like a, a digital front door of some kind that is doing reporting for, you know, different investors and showing statuses or whatnot, or whether it's the backend improvements in the models and, and everything that's the output of that, the outcome of that still is passed on to the development teams to right to come up with a proper uh, development cycle the prioritization is determined by a human based on different priority cat uh, categorizations that they've actually listed within their institutions so if one person sees an insight and they say oh this insight is a great insight two people have to get into a room and de determine whether that insight should be developed over the next one right so i think People are missing a vast portion of decision making that is is still done manually and rightfully so because of a fund manager or you know if someone owns a fund like you're not going to be able to mimic Ray Dalio's decision making right Ray Dalio can use different data points to determine to come to a decision but you're not going to take AIML and be able to let AIML take Ray Dalio's vast experience and vast information across all of these different areas 
and then be able to mimic his final decision. That's that's not going to happen anytime soon. Yeah, because I guess it changes based on personal experience. A hundred percent. And and also it changes based on the type of information that Ray Dalio knows to look for that he doesn't share with anyone. Right? I mean, Ray Dalio is not standing in his in 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 Bridgewater looking over a vast sea of analysts and telling them everything that he knows. He gets all of the data necessary. And then if he has to, if if the final decision of a specific trade, right, or a specific move in the market is left up to him, he's incorporating decisions in there based on conversations he's having at various levels uh, in the marketplace. So what do you, you're, you're going to, that's, that's not something AIML can do. So I think people have to be very cautious about thinking that every human being is going to be replaced on the face of the earth all of a sudden. It's just, or even in financial services, like you can't do that, right? Um, I think this is this is a this is a primary point. So you mentioned a couple of sectors. You mentioned fund managers. Um, mm -hmm. Are there any other specific sectors that what you're discussing would be particularly suited to, or like specific use cases, for example, in Absolutely. payments or any other sectors within um, financial services? Absolutely. So I think the other thing is very important is right now um, in a market that is seeing dwindling returns on initial investment, everyone is fighting for capital because liquidity is leaving the marketplace, you know, because of the Fed's adjustment, uh, you know, to, to try to combat inflation. So what I do believe is is very important right now is is banking institutions have to proactively determine when a customer is about to leave their bank. And the only way to properly do that is to study behavior. And so AIML will study the behavior of a of different levels of investors, whether it's a, you know, a high value investor or, you know, just a, a regular, you know, retail individual who just you know might might just be depositing various amounts into different instruments across the banking sector but if they proactively see behavior if AIML can can study the behavior of every individual historically and what they've done before they've left the bank then the bank can proactively create models that will allow their managers to intervene and then be able to suggest various instruments, be able to suggest various incentives to try to have uh, and, and create that retention necessary, right? So I think there's, there's several points in this that are really important that when we're starting to see how AIML is creating, you know, we have descriptive and prescriptive, right? The, the descriptive aspect is, is really describing the persona that they have in front of them you know we've we've looked at this individual and this individual falls into these categories because of these insights right and then the the prescriptive is this is how you create retention across this demographic of you know either investor depositor what you know wherever it is i think uh, you know that's one part of it so you know we talk about retail banking right the, the other part of it, I think, with payments, payments are a very uh, nuanced thing because of crypto, right? 
And so because of because you have this this new age of individuals and that first of all, the new generation has no idea what cash looks like. Right. Like they just they have no idea if you're if you're 10 years old right now, there is a high probability that you might have never actually seen your parents transfer cash in front of you. Right. I would never usually interrupt, but I just have to mention this. Yeah. And I know we're audio only, so no, no one can see. So I'm going to try and describe the hand movement. But have yeah. you seen that the under kind of 12s, instead of doing a phone, they do this. Like, yeah, they do that with they the hand, it. with the palm. Yeah, right? absolutely. That's so yeah. weird, isn't it? A hundred percent. And and the problem is, look, the, the issue that we have is that when behavior starts to change like that, you start to realize that everything around that behavior is going to change as well, right? So when you do the palm, right? Like there's there's a, a few implications when we talk about the palm, you know, as and representation. And when we say the palm, what we mean is like, as opposed to holding your pinky and your thumb up to, to signify a phone call, you're saying you're holding your whole palm to your head, you know, signifying, symbolizing a phone, and one of the things that that symbolizes is that you've never seen a wire before. You've never actually seen a phone attached to a wall. Right. So let's just start there. Right. So you actually don't know what restrictive movement in relation to a phone call and access and communication even looks like. Like you've never even been involved in that world. You've never been restricted by location in relation to communication. That's insane, isn't it? You insane. Think of that. Insane. So now we get into the next step, which is if you've never seen the connectivity there, right? And you've never been restricted in relation to uh, how not only you communicate with others, but how you're communicating with the rest of the world in general, how you're getting information. Because back in the day, the other thing this signifies is that if you only know a phone that is a wireless mobile phone and specific to let's say a, a touchscreen mobile phone. What that also signifies is that you've never been restricted in silos of where you would get information. Meaning that when you wanted information, you got it from the same place you talked to your parents from, which is that phone. You never had to go leave your chair, go to a desktop, log in, to get information and then move to another modality to get other types of information. You see what I'm saying? You've never even had to go to a library to pick a book as opposed to going online to get digital information. Both of those essentially merged all together. Where you speak, verbal information and communication, bi-directional, uh, how you send information to others and gain information has all been done in a single modality. And it hasn't been location restrictive. Obviously, so I work in marketing, so I talk and think a lot about Gen Z and millennials. But this is like 100%. a whole other shift. Absolutely. What does this other shift mean for financial services in the future? Yeah, I think I think what this means is essentially that when people pay for things now and they just swipe their phone, right? Because you have to think first, let's say that you, you went to a card, that card had to be swiped. Then the chip came, and then now it's either chip, tap, or swipe. Then you have a wallet. At the same time, you watch this rise in crypto, 
So now money to you can be anything that anyone determines to be valuable. So when we talk about payments, going back to your original question, what payment means is essentially starting to become a little bit more fluid. Why? Because if I buy something with, let's say, Bitcoin, but Bitcoin or Dogecoin, right? I am not transferring that cash in that form into my account. I have to pay for it, right? And well, let's say you, I pay you for it, for the, for the asset. You send me the asset. Now you have to essentially take that form of payment you got and either keep it in the wallet you have and hope that in, in, in hopes that either you're trading it or you're buying other assets that you need or other you know, goods and services, let's say not assets, goods and services you need with that type of coin, or you have to again, convert it one more time in order for it to be a much more socially and widely accepted form of currency. So what that essentially means over time is that now AIML could probably shift into a position that actually tells you what form of payment is most efficient and is most, uh, you know, has better tax incentives, what you're buying, how long it will take, right, to remit payment. Then you have uh, the other really, really, really big elephant in the room, which is everyone is paying for things remote. And unless you have an environment where you can purchase things and be held accountable and the, and the seller of those or the manufacturer of those items can be held accountable for selling you something, or they can say you never paid them, the, the logging of that transaction starts to become a vital point in what's going on, right? So I'm a manufacturer, and not to make a long story long, but like I'm a manufacturer, I sell 500 different items and at the end of the year, now I can tell you, every AIML can study those payments and tell you how many of those payments were chargebacks, what form of payment is better to reduce chargebacks, what demographic of individuals are buying what type of product, which is already there, but also what type of payment system they're using. And then if you have an open system that can adjust to it, they can automatically make those recommendations and adjust the marketing to those individuals as well. So you're an end-to-end, -end, all of your behavior down to what payments look like and what how you're accepting payments and remitting payments is changing. And therefore, as a customer, when you, you're in marketing, so you'd understand this, when purchase behavior used to be the cart and that was it, once you proceeded to checkout, that was it. That's the final conversion. And then you move over to retention. Now the data is what type of payment did they use? That's insane, isn't it? Um, you mentioned earlier one of the limitations or the possible limitations of AI and ML. Are there any others? Well, I, th I think the, the other, I, I wouldn't call it a limitation, but what I would say is that there's this, there's this idea that is in, incredibly, um, I think people have just accepted this ubiquitous idea. It, it's, this idea has actually become ubiquitous across the board, which is that it, when AIML shows up, people lose jobs, right? But what happens is, is when, when people say this, I say, okay, well, 
eventually, if no one has a job, they can't buy the thing that AI and ML is being used to <laughs> used for, whether it's a good or service. The market evolves. So I think this this misunderstanding of how AI and ML is essentially functioning across these different sectors, because at some point, if there's not enough jobs, someone will walk into a grocery store and do the job for less than what it costs them to have a self-checkout. You see what I mean? Now, here's yeah. the thing. You have laws in place, like minimum wage laws, that prevent that person from walking in actually and saying, I'm willing to accept $3 an hour, $5 an hour, $8 an hour, because the market is not able to kind of balance itself out. So if there is someone out there willing to do the job for less because they need that money, they're actually not able to, which actually creates a barrier of comp, a barrier of entry where really honestly, it's a, it's a regulation that essentially works in benefit of AI and ML because that regulation stops humans from being able to undercut the marketplace because you don't have a minimum wage for AI and ML. You see what if I mean? We, yeah. If we take a more kind of overview look mm -hmm. of product development, kind of take it away from AI and ML yeah. and just more to general product development, um, mm -hmm. what, if anything, do you think is wrong with product development in fintech and the financial services today? And how can um, financial services companies improve their product development? So I think the I think the first thing with financial services is that ultimately financial services has to come to the idea that sharing information does not necessarily mean that you're giving up IP. And so product development within financial services sectors become an incredibly customized um, because they don't want to use, let's say, an off-the-shelf solution. I mean, there's a lot of off-the-shelf solutions that they do use, but I think eventually what ends up, what needs to end up happening in, in order to get past this friction is that fi financial services industries are having are going to eventually have to come to an idea that data is shared across all of these different industries. And the retail investor, which is your Robinhood investor, your Reddit investor, is a force to be reckoned with. You know, when, when, you know, if you put a million retail investors in a room, right, and everyone has, you know, two, three thousand, five thousand, ten thousand dollars to spend, they're crushing hedge funds. And the thing is, is that if the financial services industry really wants to compete within this market, they really have to get into the idea that the retail investor, now you have something called sentiment analysis, right? Well, they study sentiment because nobody wants to lose money like GameStop, uh, you know, like they do with GameStop. So they'll study the market sentiment before they make a move because they also want to see if they're they're at risk. You know, what I think the product development space is missing is individuals who can actually study the market and bring back information from the market as a whole. Product owners and product managers. Uh, technology strategists that are specific within the financial services industry have been looking at what is the fastest route to, you know, getting an edge over the market from a financial services. I mean, from from a from a from simply from an institutional 
investor model. So like if I have a high frequency trading machine and I have AI ML running behind it, that one tenth of a second that Goldman Sachs gets or that one one hundredth of a second that Goldman Sachs gets and they can trade a hundred million trades and that one one hundredth of a second, that's great. But you're not going to be able to predict that if a bunch of people start to move a certain way and then they make a, a drastic shift every single day because humans are volatile. And if you're not studying the market properly and bringing back not a B2B insight, but a B2B to C. So the consumer now is is their opinion of your of your product in your front end is absolutely important within financial services. So last question, um, if anyone was really interested in what you had to say, really loved listening to you and would like to find out more or follow you, where can they find you? You can follow me on LinkedIn, named Sabadil Tabadi. I, um, uh, they can look at some of the articles we recently wrote. And I believe that, you know, over time, I'll probably be putting out more content in relation to it. But please find me on LinkedIn, Sabadil Tabadi. Uh, follow me. Let's connect and network through this. Happy to provide any insight. And, you know, in the future, I think uh, we'll probably be looking at a blog uh, coming soon. Uh, that's primarily in relation to product development and financial services as one of the uh, verticals within that space. Cool. Thank you so much for joining us. Awesome. Thank you. This was the FS podcast hosted by Exadel. Don't forget to follow us to hear more.